1: How to find value in fantasy drafts? That's what we're talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at yardspergretch. Find my Substack at bengretch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who is doing tremendous work over at Rotoviz right now. Uh, you, I mean, it, it's so funny when we, with, I, I get all these questions about zero RB and stuff, and then I've gotten a lot of questions that are like, oh well. Is the original Zero RB article ever not behind the paywall and stuff? Like, that. like just get a Rotaviz subscription. If you've never had a Rotaviz subscription, go get a Rotaviz subscription. See what it's like. Do it for one year. I promise you, you'll never stop. Sean, how you doing?
2: Awesome. We've been having fun with our Dynasty Draft. We had a a good conversation about how to find value in our drafts in the previous episode, and we have a lot of main event drafts coming up. Then where we're going to need to execute some of these lessons that you know we we hope work for us. Today, we're going to talk about players who some of them we believe are values. Some of them we believe are not values, but maybe at a certain point in drafts, they would become values. How do you navigate that? And we're going to go with some specific names. Let's just get it off to a a fast start here. And then I want to ask you, are there players you want exposure to, but feel they're overvalued? Who are they and where are you targeting them?
1: Yeah, and you have a nice list here in our notes. I'm going to rely on, on some of your player takes a little bit. But the first name that came to mind on this was DeAndre Hopkins for me, who I, I don't know if even overvalued is the right word because he's sort of hard to knock. But there are these little things that are a concern for me. It's similar to a player that, that you have on your list, which is George Kittle, which I think is really interesting, where we know the guy's very productive but maybe he's just going a little bit higher than he should based on a situation for me with, with Hopkins, you know, I, I understand the idea that like liking some of the other young receivers that go behind him is sort of akin to that family guy meme where it's like, you could have a new boat or you could have this, you know, unknown box. It could be anything. It could even be a new boat. But my, my point would be even though Hopkins is established and, and those young guys were kind of hoping will be as good as a Deandre Hopkins. We don't necessarily have certainty with any player that they'll continue to be exactly what they were. And with Hopkins, there's some small concerning things for me. His dot last year was more than a yard below his career low, which his last year in Houston, his dot was more than a yard below his career low prior to that. So now we have two straight years where his dot has been at least a yard below his his prior career low, right? So we're losing some of the downfield stuff. Some of that because it's an average is just because he saw so many targets around the line of scrimmage. But it's also interesting that his his efficiency, his yards per target type efficiency spiked a little last year, even at these lower depths. And I, I think that's a little tough. It was tied for his third highest yards per target of his career. You know, maybe that's because the, you know, of offensive things that will be, you know, good, good situations for him in Arizona, but it's a little tough to bank on that again when, you know, he obviously was very good during his time in Houston with Sean Watson. And then there's just sort of, you know, some concern about Rondell Moore's there and some of those short targets that he was getting, a lot of these quick hitters. Ronald Moore is so clearly going to replace the Larry Fitzgerald sort of short area options. They came out in the first preseason game, they threw two quick hitters to Rondell and they gave him two quick handoffs. We love him as a, as a later round value. It's hard for me with Hopkins is, you know, his target share isn't that low. It's still massively high, but it has dropped a little bit from when it was at its absolute peak. His uh, targets per run is still very high, but it has dropped a little bit from when it was at its peak. He is 29, which isn't old, but isn't young. I'm just kind of concerned about his profile. I'd like to take him in the end of the second or the early third. And he goes in, you know, in the top five receivers.
2: Yeah, and he was one of the guys that I thought was an absolute must-draft last year. In the first half of the season, that looked to be the case. Uh, He played all right in the fantasy playoffs, definitely was someone who helped teams last season. A lot of those things that you've mentioned are some minor concerns. Uh, Rich Rebar, when he was on the show talking about guys that he thought might collapse, Hopkins was one of the players he mentioned. Uh, If you haven't, make sure you go listen to Rich and, and the players he thinks are both breakouts and collapse candidates. One of the things is just, too, when you watch the Cardinals, it's hard to get excited about what they're doing with him. it has got a lot of those targets right across, right at the line of scrimmage you mentioned, but also they're up against the sideline. And so they're almost kind of doing that old Raiders to Amari Cooper kind of thing where uh, Hopkins is having to deal with the, the sideline as the extra defender, and they're just not moving him around and being that creative with him. One of the things I was reading in terms of their practice reports is that people thought that, you know, now that they have A.J. Green, who, you know, Who knows if he uh, even plays at all with how bad he was last year, but they still have Christian Kirk, someone who I could actually see as a very quiet kind of bounce back post type kind of guy. We've talked about more. We think that he's going to be a star more or less right away. People thought they might be more creative with how they deployed these guys. And that has not been the report, you know? So if you're just going to line Hopkins up in a spot where the defense knows exactly what he's going to do every play, and then you have some of these other targets, you know, does he have that early second round upside? And I mean, Hopkins is so good that yes, he does. At the same time, one of the reasons why he was a must draft last year is that there weren't guys yet who were ready to replace his production in that range. And now we think they are. So uh, when you have more options now, when you're looking for that receiver to anchor your team and be a superstar for you, I think with the two things combined, the questions that we have for Hopkins, the, other players we want exposure to in that range yeah i mean he fits perfectly with this you had mentioned kittle as somebody that i have on the list there may be some other tight ends as well that fit into this category you know we've been hammering at rotoviz for years and years elite tight end even double elite tight end uh you mentioned in the last show that if you have 60 70 exposure to someone and they get hurt then it really gives you some problems i mean for years i have been a rob gronkowski Uh, very high percentage guy and i think that he is someone who illustrates that perfectly and that you know all those years when he went down it changed your team from being you know almost unstoppable extra starter in the lineup to you know now now you're putting in guys like you know whoever's running out there that week for the cincinnati Bengals, and so it, it changes your team a lot we know that the tight ends are crucial and yeah, I think that knowledge finally being adopted this season has made Kittle, has made Pitts, and, and even some guys who are a little bit cheaper, like Mark Andrews, who has the weekly upside, but maybe not the full season upside. And then Noah Fant is one of our favorites. But you know, as we continue to look at where he's going and the build that you get and what it costs you to draft him, I'm kind of wondering if that entire tier of tight ends, uh, if we want to include Fant, as kind of the, the last of the really exciting players, you know, are all of those guys overvalued? <laughs> I,
1: I mean, Kyle Pitts is a player I want exposure to anywhere I can get. He's so clearly different than the, the comps that people are making, which is, you know, rookie tight ends and all that. At the same time, everybody wants exposure to him. He shouldn't be going ahead of TJ Hawkinson. I've been saying that all offseason, and he does very frequently – the, he's a, he's a, he's probably the best of this that I want exposure to and I'm going to take him in some places, but I, I do feel that his, he's he's overvalued. I feel that he's going higher than he should. He's not a small miss, big hit player. Um, he's very likely to be fine at tight end, which is sort of makes him a, a smaller miss just because of his position, because we know that there's this gap widening that we talked about way back in our first week, I think as we talked about the way that the league is shifting and there's some tight ends that are are really benefiting from the more passing and we know Atlanta's going to pass a ton and there's potential for really high target volume and then there's some teams that are going so shotgun four wide and all of these things like Arizona we were just talking about Hopkins they don't even use a tight end and so there's there's not as many you know tight ends never been deep but i thought we were headed with the more passing toward a little bit of a deeper range in this position but the more passing has just led to more receiver sets is sort of the point I'm trying to make here. Pitts is probably going to be an okay value, even if he doesn't have an amazing first year. I, I do want some exposure, like you said, but I, I do think he's probably overvalued. Yeah. Um, Kittle's a little harder for me. I, I just think he's so good and he's going a lot of times in the late second that I, I, I still kind of want to take him. You know, I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily overvalued. We know, you know, you know, a big thing for him would be if he could ever have some touchdowns. He only has 14 career TDs. He's never had more than five in a year, but he has, you know, he has the second highest all-time single season tight end yardage um, season. Kelsey passed him this last last year in 2020, but back in, I believe it was 2018. Kittle set that record and then has since been passed, but he is a superstar. He, he can do a lot on his own and and this is going to be a really good offense where I think maybe his touchdowns can, can override some of the, the competition concerns and I'm hopeful San Francisco can be concentrated enough. And then a- Andrews is, is actually the, the other one that I just don't take and, and probably won't take because I, I, this is, that's an offense that over the last couple of years, they've thrown so few times and I still feel confident they're going to throw very, very low amount. They might throw more, but it's still going to be a very small amount by an NFL offensive standard. And if you go look at their stats, I mean, just go look at their team page on pro football reference. The last two years, Andrews has a 100 target season but him and Marquise Brown have both been in this like 70 to 100 target range I think there's the one year where Brown got hurt a, a little bit in 2019 and so he had maybe like 71 targets mostly they're in this like 80 to 100 target range and then no one else on the team's even over 50 because of the way that they they also incorporate some passing to like Patrick Ricard and depth tight ends and all these other dudes and now they Bateman's banged up, which is a little bit of a different, you know, a different part of this conversation. But Bateman's probably going to play some this year. They do have some more depth. They, you know, I don't know that I'm really buying the Sammy Watkins height, but even if Bateman's out, Tylen Wallace is a really interesting second wide receiver rookie that they took. I, I I find it hard that the two-man concentration that they've had can continue at the same level. And if another guy starts creeping up into like a 70-target range. Like there's just not enough targets in this offense, so you're really banking on efficiency, and that's that's something that I think is, I don't know, it's it's troublesome for me with Andrews in the range that he goes because there's just so much opportunity cost in terms of the wide receivers you can get.
2: Well, Ben, let's talk about receivers for a second. Again, this our sort of topic here, our mini topic is players we want exposure to but feel are overvalued. How how do we get them, and, and do we? Some different areas of the draft here, but Keenan Allen, Robbie Anderson, Mike Williams, so both of the chargers guys, uh, when you consider how good that offense might be, you know, you, you kind of are, are trying to figure out, well, how can I play this team? I find that I don't have really hardly any chargers exposure, which, you know, after they score 45 points in week one, you're going to be trying to figure out, well, you know, where did everything go wrong? And are, are these guys that we can have on our rosters?
1: Allen is so hard because he's so consistent with the targets per out run, with the, the volume that he earns. He's gonna be very, very good. The question is, you know, at this stage of his career, he did, did have some injury issues way a long time ago. I, you know, I was very much of the of the perspective that he's not injury prone or or could, you know, certainly stay healthy and, and back at that time and was all over him for, for a couple of years. But at this stage, I'm, I'm a little worried that at a certain point, his body might, again, break down. And he has to like, – I just don't know that he has top five upside at, at the point that you're taking him, and there's so many, again, the opportunity cost. So, yeah, I completely agree with that one. Mike Williams another great one. Never had a target spread run over 17%. Really hard for me to see that. That's why I've been targeting some of the, like, potential third step-up options in this offense. We talked about Tyron Johnson as a potential deep sleeper that we both really like on our sleeper show last week. Yeah, I think that's really tough. And then you also we sh- we should talk about running backs too. You, you you talk you have Austin Eckler on here, and we've talked about him. You have him more of a, as a late second round valuation, and talked about him a little bit on our first show this week that you took him when he went there, but otherwise have mostly been avoiding. Why don't why don't why don't you give us your thoughts on him? And like we've already talked about him, but you also have Aaron Jones on our list. I'm curious
2: about about Aaron Jones. Yeah, well you 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 have Austin Eckler with this amazing receiving profile. I think it was the 2019 season where he went off for four plus fantasy points over expectation just as a receiver. And that's a position or that's the the part of the profile that doesn't lend itself to the points over expectation quite as much. You're not going to massively outperform in the touchdown column as a receiver, whereas obviously as a rusher, you can do that from time to time. And so it's really just just amazing talent that you're putting out there as a receiver. And we know that that part of the profile is so important. You look at Aaron Jones, and there are so many things that you can go and look at and say, okay, well, this guy is right there with McCaffrey and Kamara Cook. You know, he's a different profile, obviously, than Nick Chubb. But in terms of a pure talent, Aaron Jones is there, and he's in this Green Bay Packers offense. So how can you not take one of the best talents in one of the best offenses? Mentioned in the last show that we have some of our advanced stats uh, updated On Rotoviz, you go in there and you look at his yards after contact per attempt, and it's in that range, you know, right there, uh, just below Nick Chubb. When we know that Aaron Jones is going to create big plays, we know that he is going to break through those tackles and run to daylight. He gives us the chance for touchdowns and close, but he also gives us a chance for, you know, multiple 20 yard touchdowns. Again, in in a system where you're going to score a lot of points, a few seasons ago, he has this, you know, 19 touchdown season you know, we've seen backs in that 2000 to 2005 time period with year after year of big touchdowns. And so I think that sometimes we can look at, you know, what's happened recently and think, okay, well, you know, you just have to be realistic about what guys can score and forget that, I mean, football has been played a lot of different ways. Some of the things from you know, that 2005 to 2006 seven time period may actually give us insights into what's going to happen with a few of these guys now as some teams are playing their running backs a little bit like those guys were played. And if we're going to chase these huge upside seasons, you have to chase the guys who could do that. And yet at the same time, when you have A.J. Dillon in there and you're looking at the overall expected points numbers that we're likely to have from Jones. And you're looking at the fact that even if you factor in a big number in terms of fantasy points over expectation, I mean, Jones has been in that 15 range the last couple of years, right? So you're essentially saying the volume was worth 15 points a game. We need our guys that we're going to draft in rounds one and two to be able to put up 18 to 21 points before you factor in this potential to outperform, you know, to have one of those, um, Alvin Kamara type seasons where you add an extra three, four, five points per game that is beyond the volume. Okay, well, even once you do that with Aaron Jones, then it's hard to get there. And there's a possibility that Jones can maintain the overall expected points if he now is even more involved in the passing game. But Ben, there's a chance that his EP actually drops because now they have this one two punch that's so dynamic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. The the clearest path would be AJ Dillon getting some goal line work and taking some of those touches. And then also just, you know, the low value touches. The rush, the rush EP does accumulate on on some of the low value rush attempts. They're they're not huge expected point plays, but you know, I've been saying for a while now that I think when they get to leads, they're gonna probably turn over to AJ Dillon sometimes and and just let him run 15 times in the second half as opposed to letting Aaron Jones do it. And and part of that, I mean, this is just like one little narrative point, but you can go back to their playoff loss. They came out in the second half. They gave up the bad touchdown to the to, to Scotty Miller right before halftime, and Aaron Jones fumbled right away in the second half. I don't know that that's necessarily going to carry over, but that was their last memory of last year. That was a huge play in that game. The Bucks scored right away on the very next play. It flipped the NFC Championship, that touchdown before halftime, and then the touchdown right after halftime. If A.J. Dillon has some fumble issues, then that's going to be completely moot. But if he controls the ball well and is sort of this workhorse that he always was in college, that, I mean, it just seems so obvious with his size and everything. They would lean on him late. I do want to note, though, to be clear, with Eckler and Jones, these are guys, Sean, you're saying you want exposure to, but you feel they're overvalued. There's several other running backs that people want to take over these guys or in the range of these guys that aren't on this list because we more or less don't want exposure to. We're going to get to some of them in a minute. But these are guys that, that you do see some some positive elements to if I'm not mistaken and then the other thing I'll, before I flip it back to you I want to mention is something I thought was a, a perfect application of this point you highlighted a couple of really interesting rookie running backs that are going unfortunately just before the really bad wide receiver tier break in Michael Carter and Trey Sermon I think they're the perfect application this point where I want exposure to these guys but it's really hard to take them over you know Tyler Boyd or Debo Samuel or some of these guys that that can fill out our wide receiver builds.
2: Exactly. So we'll look at where we're going to take Sermon, where we're going to take Carter, how we're going to get exposure to these potentially electric rookie running backs right after the break. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So Ben, Trey Sermon has been the talk of training camp. When we had Jamie Eisenberg on the show last week, he mentioned that the people uh, were kind of talking about him in the same way that they were talking about Michael Thomas before uh, he lit the world on fire right off the bat. We know he's in this offense where the running back in any given game can go out there, put 30 on the board for you, you know, almost win your week by himself. But we also know that the 49ers can mix some of these games around. We know that they have Raheem Mostert, who not only is good, but you know, is one of the fastest guys on field every season. You know, he can put up a 30-point game and is less expensive. We also have the rookie quarterback going in there. Carter, the same thing. We've got this offense that should be similar. They're trying to import a lot of those concepts. But he's got the rookie quarterback. And we don't know that they'll be able to do what the 49ers are able to do. It's one thing to say, okay, we're going to emulate that. But, you know, easier said than done, right? And with Carter, you have the additional positive elements of he probably is the starter. I mean, Tevin Coleman is not the same hurdle that Raheem Mostert is. And maybe he's a a better pass catcher right so if they want to do some things where you throw to the backs suddenly you're looking at carter as having this unbelievable profile but you know where are we comfortable getting exposure to a middle round rookie running back in an offense run by a rookie quarterback and maybe that offense doesn't put up a, a lot of total points
1: yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, drafters are sharp here. taking the. I mean, if, just a few years back, I, I think Tevin Coleman would be going in this range and, and Michael Carter would be going later. And then it would make a lot more sense to be targeting Michael Carter. But Michael Carter being up near some of these wide receivers that we like so much and Coleman going later, even Ty Johnson going later, I think is a reasonable way to play his backfield if you want to. But yeah, like you said, if it's split, maybe none of them are the right way to play it. There, the the next point that we wanted to discuss is whether there are players we would sort of never draft. Are they? You wrote. Do they tend to be unfashionable players? Are they simply overvalued players? Are they players with bad profiles to price and and you know price upside profiles? And Derek Henry, and Nick Chubb, right here on this list. We I think we talk about them a decent amount. They should be on this list. Ezekiel Elliott, Joe Mixon are on this list. Those guys I think people will have a little bit more of an issue with because maybe people are seeing more receiving potential. Obviously, with Henry and Chubb in PPR leagues, it, it is so tough, even if they have a 2,000-yard rushing season like Henry had last year, for them to really destroy the season, basically. Henry was still the RB3 in points per game, by quite a bit behind Cook and Kamara. You need that receiving value or you basically have no chance, even if you run for 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns or 19 touchdowns or whatever he had. Elliott and Mixon are interesting in that people think that Elliott could receive a lot. We've seen this multi-year skills decline. That's not really a guy that we want to be on as he's sort of declining, even in this great offense, Mixon's the one that hasn't done it for several years, but now people think is going to have the monster workload. You're just talking about with Aaron Jones, you know, can't get past 15 EP. I think there's people out there that think Mixon can have a 20 EP type season. Um, How do you differentiate differentiate those four?
2: Right. So Henry Chubb, it's going to be difficult to get To where they need to go because one of the things that we're seeing with them is they already have the efficiency factored in right we talk about how you want to have the talented players but the talented players have to come at price tags to where even if they're awesome i mean if 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 a guy goes out and does what henry and chubb are going to do and they still can't get it done for you then it's just so straightforward that they're not guys that will work as you mentioned elliot mixon a completely different story there. And for me, those are the players where you've got to also be willing to just say, I don't think that they have the talent, right? And so you have this element then where, or just there's, there's a risk, right? So we have the price. And with elliot we see him in the decline play phase, so many red flags in terms of where it's going to go with the receiving, where it's going to go with the efficiency. Mixon has never really demonstrated that he deserves to be played at that level. And when you look at the fact that they could still have problems with their offensive line, and that the way they get around that is probably with all of these short pass attempts, as opposed to it being an offense this year where he can really emerge because the offense is so dynamic and will work through him. I mean, I'd be very concerned that the Bengals will be sort of a a discount version of the bills and they've got to throw to make it work. And so this workload that people are envisioning for Mixon doesn't materialize. Now that's not to say that it can't, right? We're simply saying that at the prices, these guys are going, you have a ton of risk and you have other ways to play it that are both higher upside and less risky. And so uh, for me, you've got to be willing to say, okay, I could be wrong here because you can understand the scenario people are buying. I just don't like to buy it at that price.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point you made on mixing. Both multiple great points. The the point about the offense is a great point. Then also, even if he gets sort of this eighteen EP, nineteen EP type workload, which is what's being assumed at this price point, different than Henry and Chubb, where the efficiency is already baked in, and then they can't really beat that. He could he could beat that, but he has to have the potential to beat that to still be worth that pick. And and I think there's very real concerns that. He can't have the type of three or four FPO per game type season that you mentioned with Camara and Eckler. And we're talking about there's points over expectation, right? He's adding through his efficiency on his touches, three or four fantasy points over the expected value of his workload, which we already have concerns about. So there's multiple layers there. And that makes him, I think a really tough pick. You have a couple of receivers here, Lockett, Thielen, Julio Jones, Thielen and Julio Jones for me are very straightforward, kind of easy ones. Julio Jones, Got banged up last year. People said, yeah, he didn't lose anything. Well, he did lose quite a bit, actually, on targets per route run. I think he had a career-high yards per target or right up there. He was actually still very, very efficient. He's still obviously very, very good. But there's actually some some potential that on a per route basis, he wasn't earning targets as much. There's maybe a little skill decline. He changes teams, but also we just have the age factor and the health and all of these things. And Thielen, it's kind of same deal. So heavily touchdown-dependent last year. Didn't actually have that many catches and yards. I don't even think he had a 1,000-yard season, but he had 14 touchdowns. He's not the guy that he was three or four years ago. He's up there in age. and In 2019, we just had uh, you know, a soft-tissue injury-type season where he, he really wasn't productive at all, barely played. But Lockett is the third one you have on here. He's also very old, all of these things. Not, not very, very old, but he's up there. I kind of like Lockett, though. <laughs> that, that's such a concentrated pass offense. We don't necessarily know – how much their pass volume will go? But there's really only room to go up. People are still so certain that they can't pass that much. He is a, a kind of a high price point, but no other Seattle receiver in the last two years has had over 50 targets. They've only had one player have more than 50 at all. It was tight end uh, Jacob Hollister in 2019. He got to 59 is all. It's basically just been the Lock and the Metcalf show the last couple of years. I don't see a lot of indication that's going to change. And I think he might get some of these sort of short passes if uh, Shane Waldron, their new offensive coordinator, brings over some of the bootleg, dump off, yak type plays from the Rams, where he was their passing game coordinator the last few years. That stuff fits to Lockett so much. I don't know. I just I I, I want to chase him a little bit because of the efficiency with Wilson and all of that. What what, what are your thoughts on Lockett?
2: I, I I like him. Right. I mean, he's a very good reality player. He's with a very good reality quarterback. You have. The potential for an efficient season, but he still goes in that category for me of we need to be concerned about chasing the efficiency in a low-ish volume offense for an older player. And so I'm not someone who is selling all of the guys who were efficient or all of the guys who scored touchdowns. We're not selling Adam Thielen specifically because he scored touchdowns, but when we're thinking about the talent within the individual player themselves, the quarterback, maybe the offense, there are some more concerns when you're talking about guys who might be declining other than some of the very specific plays that occurred. And so it's not that those guys can't outperform. It's that they don't have the profile that makes it likely in a ton of iterations of the season, right? We just have so many ways to play it at those price levels that are better So, I don't feel like I need to mix those guys in to have that element on the roster. I mean, one of the things, too, with someone like Lockett is that I think it's actually very easy to think of situations in which you would draft him and then almost never play him because you're like, can I pick out the 35 point game? I know he's going to give me a lot of nine point games, which that doesn't work within the structure that I have for my team, where the rest of my receivers have a higher floor and an equal or even higher ceiling and so i think that structurally for me those veteran wide receivers don't fit in the point about
1: the various iterations this season i mean you, you sold me i mean it it they're small hit big miss plays. i mean it, it, whether it's injury or, or efficiency decline in in low volume offenses or whatever they could be pretty big misses and then none of these dudes is going to be a top 10 i mean I think Lockett has a shot to be a top 10 receiver, but even then it's probably the back end of the top 10. And that's really the the thin outcome. They're not, they're not going to be top five superstar guys. And where you have to draft them, you're foregoing guys that could be superstars. They, they could just be absolute breakouts. Sean, the, the next section we had was, are there players who are straight values as opposed to players who are good to own for upside exposure? I think that's a really interesting is question as well. You have DJ Mar on here, which I mean, I, I have a, serious bone to pick with you about that. He's, I, I, I think he's got all, all kinds of upside if the role is unlocked a little bit.
2: Right, well, I'm saying that a lot of the guys that we want to draft, one of the things that we're emphasizing is, again, this big win, small loss, but we think that the upside is there to make them worth kind of this contingent play. DJ Moore is, is a value. And there's just, I mean, he's just a straight value play. Right? You don't even have to think in terms of the upside. Even if the upside doesn't happen, I mean, he is a value player. So he's a no-brainer. Chris Godwin, again, I think an absolute locked-in pick. Unfortunately, some of the times we've picked him, we've had to pick him a little bit above ADP because we're stuck in this in-between tiers kind of element. If you actually get them at ADP, then you know, their home runs, you've already kind of got this huge lead on your league just right after the draft starting away. What about some running backs? I have Kareem Hunt, Raheem Mostert, Ronald Jones. Mostert kind of the flip side of that Sermon discussion. And and again, to kind of give a sense of where we are on Carter and Sermon, we were actually one pick away in our RV Dynasty startup from drafting both of those guys. So if they had made it one more slot, we would have picked them in Dynasty. Hunt, Ronald Jones. I was looking through Ronald Jones, huge numbers in, in yards after contact. You know, I, I've mentioned at times that I can I'm willing to sell that stat because of what you have to pay for it and actually what it does for you. But Ronald Jones, the best player within this offense last year, you can see that with fantasy points over expectation. You can see that with all of his other peripherals. You can actually watch a game and see Mm -hmm. that he has this electric ability. The other guys don't have, you know, all he would have had to do to be like a top four round pick this season would have been to drop like one less pass. Like don't drop them all and not get hurt at the end of last season to let Fournette flash a couple of highlights i mean jones has that upside but he also kind of has this weird floor where with the three guys you know maybe you never feel comfortable starting him so is he a clear value when we look at just how cheap he is that's that would have been my
1: my sort of point my counter they they the, the Fournette stuff is so frustrating, but they they played the hot hand so much last year. It was it seemed clear with Jones sometimes. I mean, there was times where he was the starter, and then they kind of went away from him because he wasn't doing it in the first half. When Jones gets going, they let him go. And he had a stretch, obviously, where he was phenomenal in the early part of the season, game after game, where I think Fournette was out. But sometimes they will just sort of go away from him as well and go to Fournette. And I think we're going to see that at times. And so it's kind of a frustrating – He could be kind of a frustrating play in the way that you mentioned Lockett. On a weekly level, because I do think Geo is going to so clearly play the pass downs. Geo is just my favorite way to play that backfield, and that that Jones and and Fournette are kind of going to split early down stuff. So I do think there's a little bit more of a floor where, especially in weekly managed leagues, where you put him in your lineup and he only winds up getting like six carries because they went away from him and it was mostly Fournette and Geo that week, and um, you know doesn't catch any passes, six carries, whatever, twenty five rushing yards, and that's all you get. That kind of stuff could be kind of killer to your roster, and so that's uh, that's my my fear with Jones, who I completely agree with everything else you said, and, and and really like the player. I've always been very high on him as well. So you mentioned running backs broadly. I, I'm wondering about guys like Etn and Javante Williams, where we they're not going to be clear values early in the season, but it's very hard to see scenarios where those guys don't have. You know, increasing roles throughout the year, like we saw with Jonathan Taylor last year. Now, of course, the Marlon Mack injury happened, but that happens with rookies, not the injury, but the increasing roles happens with rookies. Both of these guys, these teams committed to Javante. The the Broncos traded up to get in the second round. Jaguar Siki Tian in the first. There's some concern about Urban Meyer and all of those things, but. I just find it so hard to believe they're not going to be positive assets at some point in the rookie season. And then there's also this massive upside, kind of like you're saying with DJ Moore. So those are two that popped into my head here.
2: Yeah, those guys are going to be values. And it's always tricky whether or not to put them on the zero RB list because <laughs> you know some some drafters will object to them being in that range. But as opposed to seeing them as zero RB candidates, we could can simply see them as out-of-structure picks. Do you have some other out-of-structure picks that you occasionally make because you think that they are values? Would guys like J.K. Dobbins or Darrell Henderson be out-of-structure picks that are such clear values that you like them, or are they clear values?
1: Yeah, Dobbins is one that I'm not making. Henderson is one that I'm considering very hard. I think he should be in the second or third round. I'm having a hard time with it because Akers is is out, and I know that we don't have like a long – workhorse history with Henderson, even going back to college, but they did lean on him a decent amount last year and he was good. And once upon a time they drafted him in the third round and talking about him a ton. And we saw the positive notes last year. Obviously they had already sort of signified they're moving on with acres and drafted acres and acres ends up taking over the backfield, but acres is now hurt, right? There's concern. They're going to bring in a veteran. There's all these other issues. The reason I want to play him so bad is Sean McVay's offenses have been very, very good for running back production, not just for Todd Gurley. It helped Akers last year. It helped Henderson earlier in the year last year, but they score a ton of touchdowns. They love to use the running back in close. That might change a little bit with Stafford compared to golf, but I think that's sort of somewhat of what McVeigh's doing. Uh, a couple of years ago, Gurley had, I think, 12 rushing TDs, but Malcolm Brown had five behind him. The year before that, the guy that we sometimes probably forget about because it didn't happen until week 16, 17, and then the divisional round was C.J. Anderson when, when Todd Gurley got banged up or was kind of starting to – his decline – Back in um, 2018, maybe, (laughs) 2019, maybe, C.J. Anderson had a three-game stretch where he averaged over 140 rushing yards, scored four touchdowns. This is an offense that's been very good for rushing value because of the way McVay structures his passing game sort of to set up the running lanes. He's been very smart about that. Todd Gurley, I know several years ago in his first massive season, one of the stats I thought was so fascinating was Um, ran against light boxes over 70 or close to 75% of the time. He was the only 200 carry back to do that more than 50% of the time because they were coming out in these 11 four formation sets and and forcing defenses to have more DBs on the field. The passing game was setting up the run game. Then they were running in advantageous situations. It was helping Gurley a ton to be constantly running against light boxes and no other high volume running back was at, at the degree that he was. I think Henderson has this opportunity that has some real, real upside to it in terms of what he could do efficiency-wise, what he could do touchdown-wise, especially if Stafford unlocks this this offense that I don't think we're talking about as much as maybe we should. Some of that's because early, right after the trade, there was the immediate reaction that Stafford's going to be the MVP, and then there was some pushback, and it was, you know, maybe we're overplaying Stafford a little bit. Let's calm down. But Stafford's going to do some things that are going to help the offense. One stat that was on PFF recently was how much better – how much more frequently he got to his second and third reads, and how much more, how much better he was than Goff, or has been. Goff's a guy that just you had to design an offense around him getting the ball out to his first read. If he tried to get to your second read, he was a, a big negative. It was it was horrible. Uh, Stafford, at least those are little ways. The Stafford's going to allow some different things to happen with the offense. I'm, I'm pretty high on the offense overall, and Henderson being this like fourth round pick right now, it's it's. I mean Xavier Jones in the later rounds I want to take it, take shots on too. The running backs in this offense should be valued higher and there has not been enough of an adjustment because of, you know, after the Cam Akers injury.
2: I worry that they may find a lot of that value outside of Henderson, but the upside there is is pretty appealing. Then we have a couple of other guys here who we think are probably straight values or I think are straight values, Will Fuller, I mean you don't even really need to go through the reasons for that one. That one is just kind of bizarre and absurd. We've talked about tight ends to an extent. Tanyan as a value, Gesicki as a value. You know, do you want to go that route as opposed to take even bigger discounts? And by discounts, I just mean players who are less expensive. Or do you want to go with more exciting players? That's probably why they're available in that range. Do you have comments on them or should we go to the final point here? Uh, We don't need to necessarily make the case for these guys, but as long as we're talking about value, do we have some guys who are trendy and yet we think that they're just straight values. You don't have to look at them as trendy players they're just value plays early.
1: Yeah. I like the ones that you have. I mean, I I, I should let you mention those. I I had Ceedee lamb on this list for me, but we talked a little bit about him on the last show. You have some concerns about his price. I still think, he makes a lot of sense where he's going personally. The other two that I would mention are Trey Lance and Justin Fields, who are moving up draft draft boards at quarterback. They almost can't get too high. I think at this point uh, to where they won't be clear values. So those are, those are some, but I really like yours as well.
2: Well, you mentioned Liam, Colin Kelly and I in our Rotoviz biz overtime drafts did take Liam at the two Oh two recently. So We're willing to take him pretty high. Uh, These trendy players who are still clear value plays, Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, they were both in my recent article discussing how you need to play the one-two turn. What's the uh, just high percentage play there? We look at them in the win the flex tool, what the points implied by ADP are. They should actually be going a little bit earlier. We look at them in the range of outcomes tool and we see that their historical matches scored a range where you want to draft them at the one-two turn. I think it's pretty clear cut in terms of what they do for you going down through. And then T Higgins, somebody I have so much higher than where he's going. I think he's just a clear value. And DeAndre Swift, we've, we've kind of uh, tongue in cheek talked about, you know, backing away from this take a little bit with the the groin injury, but I mean, he should be a second round pick with the rest of those running backs with a similar profile. Getting him in round three feels like a gift.
1: It is. It's an absolute gift. He is not I don't even know that his profile, Florida ceiling, is that different than than the first round, than literally, like, the RB3. I mean, I have them all in, the, in one giant tier in my tiers, um, which you can get through my sub stack. I have Swift in the same tier as Kamara. I don't think it's that much different. You've sold me on that, and I, I need to give you a ton of credit on it. But And also the other receivers. I mean, obviously, A.J. Brown. Like, come on. Draft the dude. couple more that I do want to mention, though, as you were talking, I was thinking, I mean, we, we've talked about Debo a ton, but, yes, him. I think LaVisca Chenault, very trendy. People are are worried about, is he going too high now? The offensive concerns, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, just the the fact in the first preseason game that came out were willing to kind of throw the ball to him close to the line of scrimmage. They're going to let him get downfield. There's just so many things from a usage perspective. They've, they've said this offseason. They're going to let him play wide receiver full-time. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. that with, with his talent and ability, I mean, I just – He just feels like such an easy value, even where he's going, especially because a lot of the news on Chark has been so, unfortunately, you know, bad, going the wrong direction. And then A.J. Dillon, who I've already done a million times, but he's trendy. He should be trendy. The Packers are going to score points. Aaron Rodgers is back, and Dillon's going to be a part of this backfield. You know, might not get as many high-value touches as we want. He might. He might get more than you think. I think he's just such an easy play especially for the builds that we like to do, that I like to do, that I I get into that round. I have enough receivers. There's A.J. Dillon staring at me. He can be my running back one. I can start him every week, and I I feel okay with that. Maybe some weeks he'll only get five points. He doesn't catch any passes. He only gets 50 rushing yards. I think he's going to rush for 50 yards most most weeks, and I think that there is some potential to catch passes and and plenty of touchdown potential as well in this offense. So that's all like an easy value at his ADP already, and then – you know if Aaron Jones were to miss any time i think there's some real real upside there so he's another one that that for me I, I i just got to mention here as well
2: yeah those are some awesome guys so that'll wrap us up for today we talked about some players we don't normally talk about so it was fun to get into those guys and i know that listeners have been asking for takes on some of those players make sure you stay tuned later in the week we have mike clay on uh, he's Always awesome, but he's going to give us some insights into how to get value in your leagues, in your drafts. That's our topic for this week. We're also going to profile and preview the going deep draft that we do with him. It's a league that he runs that is super, super deep every season. What we can learn from that, why listeners might consider structuring a league like that for themselves if they have some league mates who want to go deep in their own draft. So stay tuned for Mike. That's going to do it for us Today on Stealing Bananas, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch, whom You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. We've got more episodes of Stealing Bananas coming out soon. Please subscribe to our feed to make sure you get those as they come out. If you can leave us a rating and review, we really appreciate those. The outpouring has been beyond our wildest dreams, and we're just we're very appreciative to the community there. Please make sure you subscribe to Ben's email, Stealing Signals, really the best thing that you can read in fantasy. And we'd love to have you at RotoViz. You can get a 10% discount with the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Looking forward to uh, going over some more drafts with you and we will see you soon.